Hi, I'm Katie, and welcome to Hey It Gets Better. This is the podcast where I chat to people about the ups and downs of their lives and how they got to where they are now. Life can be pretty tough sometimes. There's no escaping that fact. But at Hey It Gets Better, we're all about talking about the journey. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, hey, it gets better. Before I get into today's episode, I just want to give a trigger warning as we do discuss stillbirths in this episode. Hi, welcome to Hey It Gets Better. Today I'm joined by Danusha Melina Durbin, who is an entrepreneur, mother, author of Noise, a manifesto of modernizing motherhood, podcaster. Um, You've also had a career in academics and you are a C-suite transformative business expert. Um, I think I've covered everything there. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on here today. Oh, thanks, Katie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm very uh, thrilled to be here too. So I'm going to start with the um, first question, which is a massive one, and you can give as many answers to it as you want, but it is, what challenges did you face to get to where you are now? Oh, that's a biggie, isn't it? Oh, you weren't wrong there. Okay, what challenges? Oh, blimey. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, Hmm. Well, I, I guess one of the biggest, first challenges would be that I was born in an orphanage uh, and I stayed there with my mother, my biological mother, for a year and then a year and one day old uh, I was handed over to a new family and my name was changed and my I stepped into a new identity, a new life new parents and uh, a new way forward, a new future. And so that was a very privileged uh, thing to have happened to me, to have spent a a year with my mum and then uh, to meet another mum and dad and uh, to to kind of um, inherit a whole new life and a new journey. And it and one of the challenges that was built into that was that actually I was um, I was the only adopted child that I knew. I briefly knew a child who um, I, I heard about um, and that, that might be adopted. You know, it was that kind of wow. Uh, she she might be like me. And certainly in my schools, there was nobody. There was nobody that that was known to be adopted and I put it that way because of course there may way well have been a child that was adopted but didn't know it but certainly I was the only child that knew and talked about it and I wasn't fixated on it it's not like I constantly talked about it but it set me apart from other people because when when we are growing up with our biological um or you know family of origin uh that you know we are we are with our people and so to have been handed over was um, something I had to decipher and I had to think about what what that meant for me. And of course, there's lots of stories about adoption. One of the favorite ones being, you know, you were, you were so wanted that actually, you know, we had to wait for you, etc. Wasn't quite the case in, in mine. Um, I was adopted by a, a, a 
a, a lovely but quite weird couple um, <laughs> and <laughs> lovely people but very odd it would never they would never get through the stringent requirements that adopted uh, families have to go through certainly now and I've got some friends who've adopted children um, so I know that it would be very difficult for my mum and dad to to adopt now but clearly I was meant to to arrive and and grow up with them and um, so that kind of challenge is one of my first that that would and it was it was from a very early age I was told that my mum was dead um, but my on my seventh birthday my um, my mum but for ease I'll call her my adopted mum um, <laughs> told me that in fact she hadn't quite told me the truth that in fact my mother was alive and so that 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 was a bit challenging because at first I could square it away in my head my little head that my mummy couldn't be with me so that she actually so that was okay but to hear that she was actually alive was um yeah I mean it's a challenge it was a challenge and and I had to kind of you know sort out okay if she's alive what where is she <laughs> so <laughs> you know what is she doing where she is and not where she, where I am and what are you doing here and I do love you but what are you doing here and not her so that was a a challenge to me in terms of my identity that's a lot for a seven years old as well to mm -hmm. kind of understand those quite big complex questions absolutely absolutely and and so I, I had the fortune of my parents lived beside a very senior BBC producer and I'd heard this and I had designs on being, uh, I think the phrase is, or the word is found. And, um, look, and in other words, Katie, I, I, my talents would be noticed. And so <laughs> this poor guy whose kitchen uh, backed onto my bedroom nice they were so so they were side by side down this uh, little pathway I sang every bedtime loud as I could so that the man next door would find me um he didn't he, did, he didn't find me I think he probably found me extremely torturous <laughs> but some years later I actually did work for BBC Two and, and, and just fortuitously, the BBC did find me, but it wasn't it wasn't as a child. Which makes it's me not laugh. the way you plan. No, it wasn't. But you know what? The lesson in that is: <laughs> sow the seed, be intentional. And I've actually no, never told anybody this, so it's actually quite funny. It's, it's like sow the seed that you are going to be found by the BBC. So it's very specific. I wanted the BBC to see my talents. And um, some years later, when I was working in Manchester at the university there, I, uh, I had a call from the BBC to ask me if it was an approach direct to me to say, you know, we're looking for a woman with several children uh, in, in, a, in a relatively senior role, very ambitious, and we have a very specific uh, presenting job for her. And uh, we want to know if you'd if you'd come and talk to us about it. And sure enough, I did that and was uh, worked with them for three and a half years and uh, became you know they found me. <laughs> yeah, 
that that's a really good story about you know who knew that when you were seven um, very young singing in your bedroom that you would in fact end up at the BBC <laughs> I find it really interesting that you know the first challenge you kind of experience is about identity um, because I think that's um, from what I understand another challenge that kind of comes up throughout your life especially when you became a mother because you had your first um, son at 17 mm-hmm. um, and I think identity is a constant kind of thing to think about um, I don't think it stops when you you know you become a teenager it's throughout your 20s and then throughout your 30s and your 40s and your 50s um yeah how what do you think about kind of like identity and shaping it well I think it's a great question and uh I mean a lot of a lot of the narrative around identity certainly looks at at our younger formative years as if identity is at its peak then but actually that's a very skewed um, way of looking at it because yes sure in our teens we're forming our di- identity we're finding who we are which is really why you know that that search around adoption and who am I mine was in a particular way but we all have it don't we I know I had several friends when I was at school that <laughs> used to laugh and say god if I'd love to find I was adopted why was I why am I in this house of mad people Surely, surely they're not actually related to me, are they? Whereas I could literally say, well, no, mine aren't, <laughs> so, you know, which is funny. I had a get, or, get out clause when, you know, if I had something happen with my mum, you know, I could just say, well, she just probably doesn't understand me, which, you know, was right, actually. But it's because we're grappling with our identity when we're shaping it. And then in our 20s, 30s, and as you say, every other decade, we're still grappling with our emerging sense of self. And that constantly changes, doesn't it? As we, as we integrate knowledge and about ourselves and about the world, how we fit into it, what we want, who we want to be, because we as we grow and and mature we may or may not realize that actually we can create ourselves and i think my first challenge really taught me that i had a blank sheet you know i didn't just i wasn't just taken from my home and plonked into another home same name same kind of more or less similar trajectory possibly no it was a blank canvas you know I my name was obliterated I did not have it anymore I was a new person and so as I was growing up I realized oh I, I kind of can be who I decide to be who do I decide to be who what do I value and and that began very early you know I had to make that choice point when I discovered I was pregnant at 17 that was not a planned event and I'm deeply grateful to my son I'm deeply grateful to myself that I made the choice to keep him albeit I do want to say that um, I'm I'm not anti-abortion it's not it's not my my gratitude is not because I morally chose a pathway it's because actually it took me down a route that was incredibly um, full of growth 
it was it was challenging it was a massive challenge i was on the brink of going i mean i was i was about to go to the italia conti stage school and i'd won a coveted uh, scholarship to go and i made the choice not to do that um during his teens i sometimes did think was that the best thing to have done <laughs> but, <laughs> you know but but that's you know every parent wonders god you know particularly when kids are being challenging but i've never regretted truthfully i've never regretted in any length of time the choice that i made which changed my identity had i gone to stage school and continued i probably would have not had children for years i would have been devoted to my career potential in the performing arts and actually what happened was i circuitously found myself there anyway i actually because i believe talent our potential rises it will rise it will come to flourish in one way or another if 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 we're open to it and i never stop being open to my potential um and i and i intend to do that into my 80s and if i'm lucky to get to 90s i will assume that health willing uh that i will be able to uh keep nurturing my identity the woman that i will be then she won't be the woman i am today but she'll be you know the spirit will be there with her i hope that's really powerful and incredibly um kind of a, a shows a level of self-awareness that i think is very very important to have and i think from from what your story and how you, you know you found who you were it it takes like that you did that at quite a young age and even um and i think um having a child as well at a young age does you know result in you maturing quite quickly too because you're looking after another human being which is a massive thing and you also have different things come into it like feeding another person bills and it it's a lot and to still kind of I think there's a, a narrative in society that is about young young mothers that is just completely wrong the fact that you know that's it once you've you've had a kid while you're young and your story just shows just how wrong that it that narrative is and it's still like perpetuated in society which is just incredibly wrong yeah it is so so i write about it in in my book actually because there's there's memoir pieces in in the uh, dedicated pieces in in the book and you know my my parents were very clear that i had completely and utterly ruined my life that i would be nobody i would make nothing of myself and that that was it and and, and they were even more blunt about it what they said was that they hadn't adopted me to just have me be a mother and so there was a there was a very big message about the denigration of motherhood in there which i had made my choice i i i was very immovable on my choice and um, my father did not speak to me from the minute that i made the choice with the consultant not to have the abortion they wanted me to have and uh basically he didn't speak to me until freddy was i think around 5 months old so more than a year he stonewalled me for the entire time 
and I had had to live with my parents. So it was, and I was very, very close to my dad. I, you know, we had a wonderful relationship throughout my childhood. So this was a, a, a very punishing uh, result of going against their wishes, um, which, which was sad. And it is, it's a great pity that there's such a perpetuation of this idea that the young girls who have, who have children young, I mean, you know, that it is the, the end of everything. I will say that resourcing yourself to actually, you know, let's be honest, it, it's not an easy path. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it really isn't an easy path to, to raise, you know, kids when you're very young because you're still developing as yourself and growing up alongside your children. And so my, I had four children by the time I was 22, four boys. And so my sons have a different version of a mother and a very good mother. My dad's a very good mum. I was very dedicated. I tried so hard. I was such, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to demonstrate that kind of perfect mum model in, in, in a way to actually say, no, look, I can do this. Don't you say I can't do this. But it, you know, a lot of that would also be masking the fact that it was bloody hard, really hard, really, really tough. Um, but I was also lucky that I, I, my husband was 20 years older. So, uh, you know, I, I had a hugely loving, supportive, um, older, older man beside me. So, I mean, that, that was a great thing. One of the things I haven't mentioned was when I had Freddie, age 17, the very social worker that handed me from my, that took me from the arms of my mother, my biological mother, and handed me to my, my adopted parents, uh, I actually met her. So she came and met me at age 17 with my baby. And so there was a really poignant moment um, to know it was the same woman. It was exactly the same human being that had held me um, and passed me over to this family. And she was seeing me with my baby. Um, and there was a completion cycle there. I've been to the room that I was born in, in the orphanage. I've met the Salvation Army officers that looked after me. I have met my biological mother. I actually, she saw me on the BBC. Just remember, wow. <laughs> I was on I was on the program, and she was reading a book, and she looked up and looked at my face, and went, "Oh, <laughs> wow, that's got to be my child," because we're very similar looking, very. Um, and you know, so there's lots of kind of completion cycles um, that that almost kind of like those little seeds being sown that we can find in our lives sometimes if we look for them yeah and I think a lot of my listeners are in their 20s and one kind of thing to say is that a lot of the seeds you might not be able to see them just yet because they're still being sown and it may take a few years for you to be like oh that really kind of thing I didn't want to happen at that time actually was really good to happen in the long run oh definitely and and one of the one of the sayings I I adopt is that um good or bad hard to say 
And so when something amazing happens, I say, good or bad, hard to say. Even though I'm also celebrating it, it's to hold the possibility that, that even though this might seem amazing, and it is amazing, there's no taking away from it, but what, what's this going to lead to? And the same with really awful things that happen, really awful things. Like, you know, I had, I had a, a stillbirth. Um, and, and it was devastating and there scattered to ashes and, you know, after post-mortem and, you know, uh, it was my biggest fear. I never wanted to have to bury, as I put it to myself, I don't want to have to bury a child of mine. And so the universe provided me with the opportunity to effectively bury my child, um, and labor with her, give birth to her, wait for a post-mortem, scatter ashes come to terms with the, um, you know, uh, a different path than I imagined. And so good or bad, hard to say, good or bad. She was the uh, very the kind of big piece that showed me that if we don't have heart, we have nothing because her post-mortem came back, Katie, with no anomalies. There was nothing, you know, there was, there was no, genetic reason there was no nothing she was a uh, she was a um you know perfectly formed little little baby she just didn't stay alive and and what they said was her heart just stopped there was no other way to describe it there was nothing there was no reason there was no illness there was nothing it was just she her heart just didn't go on and so i learned wow Okay, so if you don't have heart in something, you don't have anything really. You have to have your heart in it. So whether that's a role in a career, whether that's in a relationship, whether that's in your, your hobbies, whether that's in you know, for yourself, if you've got no heart, it's not going to keep going. So I thank her for that. You know, her name was Madeline, and and you know, Madeline taught me enormous lessons about my own resilience and life and that was through a, a you know something that let's be honest I was really hoping I'd never have to face yeah I mean I'm so sorry to hear about Madeline and I can't even begin to imagine how difficult that was that was but to have come out the other side of it with such a poignant message that you can carry throughout your life it, it it's very I mean it's very difficult to compre comprehend these experiences in life as as someone especially who hasn't gone through any of it that's the type of thing where I guess you can live in fear of some of experiencing that and it is particularly um when you see things on the news about this and you hear personal stories it can bring into question about things like motherhood and experiencing it and also if it's right for you as well um this kind of leads me on to like this wider discussion which you get with um noise um how do you work out what is for you and what isn't oh well I really had to write noise because all I could see was what I'm here was all these 
kind of gospel messages, these messages about motherhood that seemed to be fixed, like, oh, when you become a mother, this will happen. Oh, when you be, you know, when, and it's all the noise. The noise was telling, is telling us day in, day out, how things will be or how we have to behave. And, and then of course, we ingest it and then we regurgitate it because we act as if it's truth. And, and the thing that, that I was struck by was the fact that uh, one of the reasons that I can uh, create so much in my life and my career and with my children and, and uh, relationships is because I don't take the noise as if it's fixed and it's definite. So I, I, I realized that some of those messages have endured for years and and that's my not listening to them or my noticing the noise but not taking them on for me gave me choice gave me energy gave me choice gave me focus gave me me it gave me myself so Danusha is alive and well despite having 10 kids and so Danusha is alive because you know in terms of vibrancy and energy and and uh, personality because I haven't lost myself to motherhood or an identity that is kind of foisted on me as a mother. And I, I, I speak to a lot of a lot of women about life actually and and they'll right across age groups from twenties right through to uh, late eighties, nineties. And what I notice is, particularly with young women considering whether they want to become mothers, first, I'm not pro-motherhood. Uh, you know, I'm not kind of banging on that everything is about being a mother. And in fact, the first piece of noise that I take apart in the book is this one, which it says, the noise says motherhood is our calling, because pretty well all the noise says that we're not really a real woman until we, we become a mother. That doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, uh, uh, you know, you've got, a, a, you're a doctor, you're a, you know, you've, you've got your business, your, your nail salon, your whatever it is, yeah, it doesn't matter what you're doing um, in terms of your career aspirations, that ultimately what the noise says is, well, of course, really, what you're really here for is to have children. And when you're when you have children, they will be your focus. You hear the this through the narrative of, oh, my my children are everything to me. My you know, yeah. nothing, nothing is as good as my children. There's nothing that could, you know. And you'll hear this from really, really powerfully successful women who are held up as powerfully successful career women and entrepreneurs. You'll hear this as partly because in our society, the narrative is that we've got to say that because, of course, we're so we're so kind of um, interlocked. It's like this intersecting web of noise where where actually, even if we don't feel like it, we need to say it; otherwise, we don't fit. So, for instance, one of the other uh, pieces is the noise says mothers will feel guilty. So. Um, in my research, 
I found that not all mothers feel guilty at all, but what they know is that they're supposed to say they feel guilty. And what they do say is, is that they feel guilty that they don't feel guilty. So, so, <laughs> so they're feeling guilty, but it isn't about what people think it's about. Yeah, it's that actually they don't fit. And to be a real mother, you should be feeling guilty about you know, being torn between your job and your family, being not being a good enough mother. I mean, you know, all this tripe that actually is trotted out and the noise keeps it going. And then other mothers, women say, oh, well, of course, you're going to be feeling guilty, aren't you? And then people are like, oh, OK, well, I OK, all right then. <laughs> and so it's this perpetuating cycle. And so how you find out what is what is for you and what isn't for you, well, you start becoming conscious about what's what's simple noise and what, what you've been told to kind of take in and been inculcated into your own system, what actually is how you feel. Like, you know, the noise says mother's ambition shrinks. I've looked at all the research, conducted some myself. I mean, it is not true. It, it, it yeah. is a lie. The fact that a woman uh, might carry a baby, you know, biologically, or she may birth through a surrogate, or she may adopt, how, how logically does that mean that her actual ambition shrinks? No, no, it's the circumstances in which she it becomes a mother that then affects her ability to conduct her career. That's very different. That's a very different yes. proposition. Yeah? <laughs> yes, it's a very, very different. When you say it like that, yeah? it just makes um, complete sense. And it's it's very strange. I just had this conversation yesterday um, with someone who is slightly older than me and they don't think they want to have children, which mm-hmm. is totally fine. It's And it was just very funny chatting because I am the opposite. Um, I know I really want to have children, but I also want to have career. And then it's like having this discussion, realizing actually you don't have to pick. It's not one or the other. And it's really like, you know, these the noise we hear and these myths that are constantly spread around society are just myths. Yeah. And it's structural conditions. Yes. So, so it's it's the reality of overpriced childcare. It's the way that some mothers, because being a mother is not a monolithic identity, so so some mothers do have uh, access to certain privileges that others don't. So I have a I have a chapter in the book called "The Noise Says Mothers Must Be Sexless and Sexy," because it's both. Now some some women mothers. Uh, particularly, for instance, I'll take white mothers at the moment. So they need to be both virgin, sexless, which is ridiculous if you're a mother, but nevertheless, kind of prim, if you imagine prim and buttoned up and focused on the children, keeping them all clean, tidy. No, 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 sex is not my thing. But they also have to be mills. So they need to be available, but not too available, thank you very much. No, 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 no. Keep your desire under wraps, uh, you know, just enough to procreate. On the other hand, if you take black mothers, they're sexualized anyway. So the whole 
So and I'm, what I'm talking about is all the studies, all the research, would, which suggests that you know, just the, the, the trope, if you like, the assumption about black women and mothers would be that their relationship to sexuality is very different from white women's. So where it becomes uh, difficult is that um, if I, if I if I chose to not not dress my children as a white privileged uh, educated woman uh, with kids, if I chose not to clean them, not to bother to take them out in their pajamas for a walk in the woods, uh, to we live rurally, that's why I say that, um, to take them out, actually to think, oh, so what, you know, to be potentially um, just just liberal about the way I do things to be passionate about um, what I care about, um, to shout, for instance, my shouting, my liberalness will be perceived in a very, very different way than my friend who might be a black mother. Her, the, the kind of, you know, the, the way that she's treated and the assumptions that are built in around her will be very different. So I have a very close friend who's um, a, a black mother, black friend, who who has children so when she's when she talks she will be told to calm down yeah she'll be told to calm down simply because she's using her voice i use my voice and i'm i'm actually um encouraged to use my voice i'm encouraged to be i wouldn't say forceful but to be emphatic yeah that's that's you know that would be it that what that when i make my point i can emphasize because it's okay, but that's because there's an acceptability, and it's it's pure racism. So I so I write about it, and in the book, it was it was really important to me that I didn't write a whitewashed version of the this noise, because the noise is not the same to me as it will be for other women and mothers. Yeah, it just it's it's just not true, and so many books about juggling motherhood and career are written. As if we all occupy the same space, we do not. Yeah, we just don't. Yeah, and by acknowledging that, I think it's crucial to sort of putting in place things that can change it because mm-hmm. all these whitewash versions of um, motherhood just ignore the reality of the situation that is very different for many people. Mm-hmm. I mean, access to childcare is a massive um thing is that all well to say women can have it all um but if you can't afford childcare, that's already a big hurdle to overcome yeah exactly and who's who's occupying the low low paid jobs you know who gets to who who gets to be frontline workers in the pandemic who had to go who had to go and um and work in in retail uh outlets who 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 was able to be at home homeschooling, even though it was, you know, a, a, a difficult situation for many. But who had that luxury? Or, or let's just say we'll call it a luxury. But you know, actually, many, many women, many mothers did not get that luxury. They, they didn't. So, and they, and they are low paid. So it's it's a really complex, nuanced situation. And I'm really lucky that on the School for Mothers podcast, I 
I um, intentionally invite guests on who say no to being mothers. And when I when I write to them, and I, I I don't often write to people as guests, but I go out of my way mainly because we're we've got you know people come to us now, which I'm so um, thankful for. But but the fact is, when I do write, I often write to those that are anti anti having kids, or um, you know have a gripe about motherhood for for whatever reason, and they usually say, no, no, I think you've got the wrong end of the stick, Tanusha. You know. You've got school for mothers, and I, I've done everything to make sure I can't be a mother. <laughs> I'm like, yes, and that's why I want to talk with you, because <laughs> it's so important to hear the, the whys of that. It's like, I'm never to um, convince anyone. It's to hear, oh, it's the conditions of motherhood, for instance, that you're rejecting. It's the conditions. If the conditions of motherhood were were better, pretty well all my guests have said, if they were better, I'd consider having a child, I'd consider becoming a mother. But the way they are at the moment, forget it. What's built into it as a sacrificial model? Uh-uh. Why would I do that? Why would I give up my career? Why would I, why would I make it such hard work life? I don't see very many women and mothers actually enjoying it. That's sad. <laughs> it's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, to come back to kind of the kind of ongoing theme with the podcast that the podcast is called like, hey, it gets better. Yeah, it and does. It does. And we've just spoke about kind of, I think it's really important that in, even on the podcast where I think you look at things getting better, that we talk about the complexities of these situations because mm-hmm. um, like what we say about uh, motherhood and the structural barriers, that is also applicable to um many other areas of life and many other routes that I guess when we grow up we're kind of conditioned to think we should go down there are structural barriers to education going to university getting jobs certain jobs and it it can be changed it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of conversation and a lot of action but I think that acknowledging it and being able to understand why people make certain decisions is key to progress. Oh yeah, exactly. It, it's it's good to. It's. I learned as an academic that one of the most powerful things we can do if we're building any kind of argument, and as a as an academic, that's what you're doing. If you're building models, then you're going to build. Here's why it should be like this. So the power, though, is to always look at the the objections to it. To to put yourself, the really smart academics can actually argue for the exact opposite. The exact, they they have that facility, and I loved doing that, knowing that okay. So if I were to put myself in the opposite shoes, what would I uh, what would I be saying here? And so, yeah, it does get better does get better and 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 along the way life's rarely smooth pathways are more complex than we ever imagined our journeys you know are the route to what we were hoping for is rarely without some pit to fall in or to trip on unexpected um you know kind of little uh things that we have to 
just encounter. You never know what's going to come. And so our biggest thing is to, to equip ourselves with the resources, and I do mean the internal resources, to be able to weather whatever happens. That, that's the thing. And then we can make it better. Because whatever happens in our lives, uh, you know, whatever really shitty situation, to be honest, if we have the ability to turn it into gold, then we are billionaires. We're, we are absolute billionaires in life. It's not the money. It's can we convert whatever happens to us into this brilliance and genius? That's, that's what matters. That's really powerful and also really true. Like I'm just listening to you say that and I'm just thinking that's genius. Um, <laughs> like it makes complete sense when you say it like that. And it's true that if you go through and you expect everything to be like a fairy tale, the ending is going to be really happy. And, you know, you have that predictable arc of a story. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. Life is so up and down. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous um but like if you can get through it um and you can turn things into gold then you can achieve and stay true to to who you are and it's I think that's amazing what you've just said yeah and that's 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 what life is about Katie it's it's you know sadly people do get ill relationships do change you know break up Uh, careers don't go the way we think you know all these things that we have we have a goal in mind and the journey to get there will be quite different than we ever anticipated some of it might go really to plan but it's in the it's actually in the off-piste pieces that we will learn the most And, and let's be honest Actually, it is in adversity where we grow. It, it, it isn't. We don't grow our biggest amount, our, our kind of most expansive selves, in yeah, in in the comfortable moments. It's never yeah. when we do ever. You've got so, to be uncomfortable to actually push your boundaries. Yeah. And if you're comfortable, you'll never grow because you can. Why are you comfortable? Why are you going to change? Well, yeah, because it's it's. I mean, <laughs> yes, it, it's never going to change. So actually, what you've got is what you've got, and we know that it's boundless. The opportunities in life are boundless; they really are. And yes, structural conditions, our social locations, make a big difference to um, what those those opportunities might be right now in front of us. But actually, even with that, uh, there are opportunities. There are. So, and, and even with the worst cases, we can we could mention all sorts of so many people who have changed changed this world actually for the better because they have managed to see the brilliance and the beauty of their very difficult journeys, um, and they've brought that. The next piece is not just doing it for yourself, but actually then bringing the messages from your learning to others. That's an add-on. You know, not everyone's meant to do that, but certainly you know, doing it for yourself um, is the first thing and recognizing, wow, you know, I, I, yeah, I didn't get here like I thought I would, but okay. Um, yeah, 
inner resilience, inner inner skills. That's the thing. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, there's been so much wisdom in this conversation and it's been great to have. So I'm just going to leave you with the last question that I ask everyone, which you've kind of already covered, but if you just want to add anything to it, it is, what would you say to someone who just right now, they don't feel like it's going to get better for them? Um, it can be in any perspective of their life. They just don't feel like it gets better. What would you say to them? Yeah, that's a lovely question, isn't it? Well, I would, I would really start to look for any tiny crumb of evidence that you have done something, whether, you know, in the world, like in, in life around you, it might be like two steps away, it doesn't have to be grand. I would try and remember the moments when you when you made a difference, when something made a difference to you. It doesn't have to be you that's the active one. I would try to hold on to the crumb of when something did get better because grand gestures and grand learning can feel too much when we're not sure that it can get better. And now, one of the things is that everything does pass. It really does pass. And just remember that the seasons, no matter what happens, no matter what disasters happen, what, what awful feelings we have, that the buds come out, they always blossom. Because winter comes, <laughs> the autumn, you know, those seasons continue and they will do long after all the listeners, yourself, me, all of us are no longer on this earth. If we're really lucky, those are going to continue. If we can get our climate change, you know, our, our attention to that. But, but at the moment, we're very lucky that actually the seasons are with us. And there's a little clue in there that, that things, oh, there's a cycle, there's a cycle, nothing is forever. And to be deeply loving to yourself, write on your mirror, I am enough and love. Go and get a pen and write on a mirror and look at that. I am enough and love. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it helpful. I really appreciate all the support I get for Hey It Gets Better. It would be amazing if you could subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want some more content, then you can always follow us on Instagram at Hey It Gets Better. And for more stories of inspiration and resources to help you get through life, visit our website, heyitgetsbetter.com. I hope you have a wonderful week. And remember, hey, it gets better.